Good morning, folks. Um, good afternoon. This is the burp. You may be wondering why it's audio only. You may be wondering why there is no fancy intro that goes something like boom, boom, boom. No, it doesn't go like that. That's the Wolfpack theme. Um, how does it go? Shit. Hold on a second. I can find this. The burp. Is it on my phone somewhere? Here it is. It goes like this. Bum, 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 that one, there you go. Alright, we don't have that today. Because unfortunately, I am not recording this through StreamYard. Because StreamYard would require me to be connected to the internet in some form or fashion that is sustainable. I'm not blessed with that right now. So, about four hours ago, I tried to record the burp four or five times, conceded defeat, cancelled the green grab, and I got real mad about it. And I've been so mad since, so bored since, that I said, you know what, fuck the video, forget the bells, forget the whistles, let's just sit down and record some audio and get it out there for the folks. And that's what we're going to do. It is 2.15am, I have no idea how well this is working right now, I haven't got the guts to stop and check it. I'm just going to keep rolling and talk for an hour. And if you're hearing it now, it worked. And we're going to do the burp because I want to get this damn show out there. I've watched so much wrestling and got so many notes. Let's just get this thing moving, all right? Also, I genuinely don't know when my internet will be better. So, you know, got to adjust. Got to adjust in times like these, right? As, as many people in wrestling have um, pretended, you know, when your back's against the wall, you must, you must fight back with vengeance, you know? One of those deals. I often tell Monty that about his wars in the wrestling media space. But anyway, we genuinely do have a lot to get into. I don't want to waste too much time for everyone, but just to kind of explain the situation. Um, you know, obviously Monday night, I was supposed to do a Raw post show, Bob. About an hour into the show, I realised I couldn't do it. I wasn't, you know, I kind of went through one of those classic Holbert roller coaster evenings um, where some stuff affected me more than it should have both before the show and then stuff during and, you know, just weird shit can affect me sometimes. I'm sure you guys are used to this by now and a board of me talking about it. But anyway, I didn't do the show, so I apologise for that. And we're going to cover Raw here shortly just because I feel like I owe that to people that care. Um, but I want to thank everyone that reached out. I'm Look, guys, I'm working for it, okay? It's hard. I, You know, I'm aware that there's a lot to be said for just taking a step back. Firstly, I... It doesn't feel like Sank that... I don't want to say it doesn't feel like I can do I do feel like I can do it, but... I I'm, I like this challenge of work, of doing this stuff. And more than that, this is my outlet, you know? Like, the answer for me isn't stepping away from this. It's finding the right way to do it. And I'm always looking for those answers. With that in mind, that brings us to our next question. Why is the bird taped? Well, I want to experiment this week. Um, there was a couple of days that I couldn't do this week anyway, so I'm going to do some taped editions of this show... And we're going to just see how it goes. You guys may hate it. I don't know. I'm trying my best to find a good format. Um, the challenge is, as we lean more and more on live you know, streaming on Twitch in the evenings, because a lot of you guys are awake later than you should be, much like me. And that's when the wrestling's on, frankly. I don't want to lose the burp, but I don't know if I can do it you know, in a kind of sustainable way, live at both ends of the clock. Because while this isn't morning for me when you guys are hearing this... Um, it's still a distance enough away from the, like, the later stuff that it kind of makes it hard to schedule around that. And look, I ain't here to pretend I have some great social life where I'm particularly busy, but it does make it challenging. You know, I have to kind of lock in these two ends of the, of the afternoon and evening, and it's just it's a little difficult. So if I could bank some, it would be useful. It won't always be recorded, but it would be nice if it's a tool I could use at times and I could be comfortable in this format. And I think in an ideal world, if it works out the way I want it to, I think it'll actually... Um, make for better shows because I think it will force me to be analytical and give you real opinions rather than relying on the live chat and you guys know the live chat will always be there because we're going to do more streaming of anything certainly not less so um, I'm I'm quietly confident this will be a good time if it's not I apologise we won't do it too much um, speaking of such I wish we could have live chat for this when I do post videos obviously this one that won't be a thing anyway um, but you know 
unfortunately, because it's an unlisted video, when it is uploaded, you can't do the live chat. You can't premiere a live an unlisted video. So that part of it's lost. I apologize. That sucks. I wish it wasn't. Please, though, if you do listen to this, give me some feedback in the comments. Tell me what do you think. Tell me, you know, just what do you think about this as an idea for the Burr? The, the idea, basically, the Burr is a show where I review things you guys want me to review and things that I want to review. It's a place for me to be analytical and, you know, critique things, even if it's less topical, which, you know, simply put, we have more than enough shows to be topical on. I mean, it's it goes without saying, there's always a, a stream for me to respond to the news or whatever and respond to your questions live. But I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful this can be a good thing for the for the uh, for the program, a good thing for me. And so that's why I'm giving it a shot. Also, it's kind of necessity this week, so you get what you get, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, clearly there'll always be live content. I want to stress that again. Twitch is something we're really focusing on more than ever right now. And we're kind of kicking ass over there, so thank you to all of you for that. We hit 70 subscribers the other day, which was a wonderful grin. Um, so, yeah. This is, you know, this is just a, a thing we're trying for the bird. Or I'm trying for the bird. Now, I mentioned last night on Monday night, I should say, to be more accurate for when this is coming out, uh, and Raw, and so on and so forth, and I didn't get to review that, so this this hop into Raw and kind of talk through it um, best we can in the circumstances. I apologise if my voice does not sound, um, you know, as fabulous as it usually does, <laughs> but he's 220 and I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really in the, uh, you know, I've been better, here's what it is. Um, clearly this show is very good. We're going to talk a little bit more later about the concept and the format and so on and so forth and some of the themes of this show, which I struggle with slightly. Um, but clearly, it was very, very good and packed with good professional wrestling. There was good action throughout the show from front to back. There was only one segment that I thought was kind of objectively a miss. So with that in mind, I think it's very difficult to be anything but positive about Raw in a vacuum. It's doing a good job. It's a better show. The uh, you know kind of commercial results suggest the audience is excited and optimistic about where they're headed. All of these things are positive. I'm not here to rain on anyone's parade, which is part of why I didn't stream on Monday night because I was kind of bummed out by how little I seem to be enjoying the show compared to my many comrades and, and peers. Um, I don't want to be the guy who puts a dampener on things. I think that's a, you know, that's not my place in this space, to put it that way. So look, for some people, they're very entertaining. I'm not entertaining enough to get away with that. So um, I kind of just didn't think it was, it was, you know, I was in the right space for it. But, We'll talk about the show and then we'll circle back to the kind of core idea. Um, we start with the opening tag, the women's tag title semi-final match. Um, Control, which is EO and Dakota, of course, against the All-Stars of Alexa and Asuka. Um, I thought this was good. I wanted it to be better, but it wasn't really on the women and their work, though there was a couple moments of miscommunication. It was more that the heat wasn't where I wanted it to be. I really wanted this thing to be red hot and like really booming in there. And unfortunately, it just wasn't. Um, quite the contrary, it was actually rather quiet for the bulk of the action. I actually agree with Monty Texmith, and I think he's spot on. I think the opening segment's a part of that. While there were pops in the opening segment, I don't think it was particularly good. And I think it kind of took the edge off the match and made it feel more cookie-cutter than you want for something that's been as heated as this has been. Instead, this felt more like a con you know, contest set up by Tristratus which wasn't really the idea at all when you go back beyond just this week. So I thought that hurt slightly from a kind of intensity point of view. Um, but again, I'm not saying the match was bad because it wasn't, it was good. I will say, and I'll go on to praise her greatly after this because she's one of the great workers uh, ever. So I'm always hesitant to bring this up. It's been a thing at every time I've watched her wrestle as of late, so I have to say it. We may have to have a team meeting about Asuka's backfists. <clears throat> I know. I don't want to say it either, but... You know, if uh, if they're going to be taken a certain way or if they're going to be pulled a certain way, there's maybe an argument they shouldn't exist. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> um, they were all over the place in this one. Hit and miss is... Uh, hit or miss is, is a very literal definition, description of what they were doing here. It was quite the deal. But on the bright side, she had a wonderful hot take, Dasker. Of course she did. Um, I actually wish we'd have got some of that first heat segment on TV because it appeared to be very effective. When we came back from the break, Alexa was crawling for the tag and the people seemed to be with it finally, and I wish we'd have seen some of that, because I, as I've said on these shows before, I think that's the obvious fit for Alexa within this team. Um, you know, I think that worked. She had a great hot tag after the break. The crowd got into it more. 
they was with Electra on some big stuff like the DDT spot, for example, which, you know, both Io and Dakota took remarkably, especially Dakota. Um, but, you know, the way Alexa can kind of, she's very good at controlling those bigger audiences, I think, because one of her strengths, even though she's clearly the weakest worker in the match. She's good in that regard, and the audience has a connection with her. Um, Dakota and Io, simply put, aren't as over as you and I may, um, may kind of assume or expect in our bubble because we know how good they are, right? That just isn't really the case on the television stage yet. It's not a knock on them. They're absolutely going to get there because they're two of the greats, but two of the finest, you know, performers in the whole promotion. But it's a thing right now, and you can sense it when you watch the TV shows. Um, I think there's certain things they could do to make this act kind of pop a little bit more. I've talked about this with Control. I think their promos are kind of kind of cookie car in a way that's frustrating. I mean, it happened again on this show. I'd like them to change that, but even just on work alone, they're going to get over. I mean, they're, they're tremendous what they do, but I do think that was an issue for the match in terms of heat. The other thing was the match was clearly produced in a way where they expected a certain level of investment and a certain level of reaction. You know, the Asker and EO portion of the match um, was clearly set up in a scenario where, you know, the idea was it was going to have a big fight feel. The idea was that it was going to be this kind of raucous occasion to see this dream match. And in reality, they only got that response once they got going and did their great sequence. You know, there was not really a great deal of anticipation in the air before they went off um, and they got underway with that. So that's just an example of kind of reading the audience and what who the main roster crowds are into and who they're not. They didn't really get the gravity of EO and Asuka locking up. Hopefully they will very soon, you know. The stuff we got in this match will help on that front. So there you go. But um, even still, a good pro wrestling match. I love that they gave them time. They only got 20 minutes. I love that they left some meat on the bone, a lot of meat on the bone, honestly, for Clash. Um, I thought the finish was great. So, you know, thumbs up. Part of my issue was I think I expected a little too much, which, you know, we, we do these things. There's worse crimes you can commit in wrestling fandom. But it's still a, a good effort and uh, by all involved. And, you know, I'm excited to see where they go next. Good stuff. All right. Dolph and Finn followed. There was a little pre, you know, backstage gimmick, pre-match gimmick, in which Dolph kind of punked Finn a little bit, which was a way to give him something before he did a job. Obviously, they protected him on the finish too, so that's interesting. Um, this match was very good, very very good, and this really got the crowd rocking. Actually, um, Dolph is in a really nice place right now. He looks like he's having a good time out there and enjoying it, but better yet. The audience has finally reached that stage of like a kind of um, broad respect for for Dolph. Um, he is a guy who they once loved and then was on for so long in so many bad roles that he became someone who got apathy when he walked out. He got a reaction from this crowd that was like one of, of true kind of respect and admiration. I think that's really helping him in this run. The crowd seems to just be appreciating Dolph Ziggler, which is which is cool, man. I mean, he certainly deserves that, you know? So um, those things combined is making him a really fun presence on this TV show. Obviously, Finn is excellent. Um, they're trying with him, it appears. You know, they're giving him, they give him a new presentation here, a new entrance and such. I didn't think much of it, but they're, they're clearly trying to kind of get Finn moving in the right direction. Um, his performance will always be up to it. There are a lot of things from a character point of view that I wish I could go in and tweak, but they want him to be a certain thing right now, and that's fine. Clearly, Rhea Ripley is the centerpiece of this act, uh, which I love because I think it's cool and fresh and different, and she's certainly up to the task as a star. I mean, she's connected in a major way already. I think this act's only helping her on that front, even if it's, in some ways, in my view, taking the core for a little bit. She's such a badass, that doesn't matter, honestly. Um, so, yeah, really good match. They protected Dolph on the finish. Finn will be an interesting one to watch in terms of his push in the promotion, of what that looks like. Um, I honestly don't know the best route because to me, the real answer is you just kind of simplify and get rid of all of this and have him just be, you know, Finn Balor, NXT ace, but on the main roster. There is probably an argument that he's, you know, he has a role to play at this point in his career and it's not to be the, you know, to be the hero of the story, so to speak. But um, I'm intrigued to see it. I'm intrigued for Dolph, too, because Dolph's an older guy and he's in his early 40s now and he still looks great and still wrestles great, but 
you know, how big can the plans be for Adolf Ziegler? We shall see. Certainly, performance-wise, is you know, good to go to this day. So there you go. Match of the Night was up next. Um, Gable and Otis, the Alpha Academy lads, were doing an open challenge. I genuinely thought it was going to be Tyler Breeze. I'm not doing a bit. That's what I actually thought it was going to be in Canada. Uh, it was Kevin Owens. Uh, this rocked. Tremendous match. Um, Gable is a guy who genuinely can get, like, organically over in a major way in this version of WWE where Triple H lets him wrestle every week in a match of substance. Now, look, to be clear, he was wrestling pretty consistently before this, but because matches are so much more central in the product now, once the audience adjusts to what this show is, he's going to, like, climb because he's one of the best workers they have. Um, so I'm excited for him on that front. I mean, he, you know, Owens gave him a lot here and he was worth every bit of it. He was tremendous. Owens' presentation is very interesting. The last two weeks have been about re-establishing him as like a real villain, which makes it particularly intriguing that they just embrace the Canadian pop here and let him be a babyface for the night. I'm intrigued where we go next week. At one point, it appeared they were setting up for a Sami Zayn save. And um, I was kind of, as it was setting up, I was kind of pondering what that would mean, right? Would he just be a babyface full-time and a tag team, so on and so forth? Clearly, that's not what happened. He just hit two stunners and left. So my assumption is he'll be a heel. As we saw the last two weeks, this was just a way of not going against the grain, which honestly, thumbs up. You don't need to go against the grain. You don't need him to come out and say he doesn't like Canadians. <laughs> this is this is much better. Embrace the crowd. This was the hottest they were all night, other than the clips I've seen for Edge, which I have not seen that match in full. Please respect my decision. Um... I'd rather hear it was good than watch it and find out it wasn't. But uh, but Owens looked great. Gable looked great. Really, really good match. Okay, a couple more things on Raw because, again, I didn't watch all of the show. Um, the one thing I thought was... I actually thought bordered on, like, catastrophic. I just didn't understand it one bit. Bailey and Aaliyah. Um, one of Bailey's greatest strengths and one of the things that makes her such a special wrestler is that she is remarkably selfless. You know, she is selfless to a fault. And that's great. It really is. I, I think the world of her. But there's a time and there's a place to be selfless and there's a time to say, actually, no, let's not do that. Um, this was the latter. I believe this match went around six minutes and I have to say that watching it, I'd say that was about four minutes, 32 long. Um, Aaliyah appeared to get blown up because I think she had kind of like an adrenaline dump because of the emotion of the moment, which, listen, I'm not trying to hate on the woman, bless her, she... I mean, it's hard. I'm sure it's very, very difficult when you're kind of in this kind of spot and you're not used to it. But with all due respect, it was a six-minute match and she got blown up and Bailey sat in a hole twice just to kind of let her get her legs back, what it appeared to be. I'm not an expert by any means. That's what I saw. Um, this died live. They appeared to produce this match under the assumption that Aaliyah would be over because she's at home and people would get behind her as an underdog. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case at all. It was not on Bailey, you know, by any means, but I will say her offense didn't exactly look snappy here. Um, it was actually kind of blunt and flat, and I, th I just thought this was kind of insane. I have no clue why this was on the TV show. Um, there was many ways to bring Bailey back to him in competition. I don't think this was the best one, put it that way. <laughs> but you get what you get, I suppose. Okay, the headline of the night, of course, as much as Owens and Gable was the best match... That I saw anyway. The headline was Johnny Gargano who made his debut, or his return, I should say. His Raw debut probably, right? Unless he did some sort of guest spot at some point. Um, while this isn't a surprise at all as a story, it was a surprise the way they did it, right? He just kind of walked out an hour free, and, um, which I think was really interesting. I think it goes without saying this wasn't the, the best, this wasn't the most perfect version of Johnny's return in a vacuum. Right, Like, if you and I sat down and said, what's the most epic way we can bring back Johnny Gargano? I don't think this makes the top five. But in the broader sense, in the grand scheme of the show, I do think there's an argument that what they did with this was actually more important in some ways. And I don't mean that's a slight Johnny who's going to be very important, but here's what I'm getting at. Ultimately, Johnny Gargano is not a, you know, bells and whistles spectacle guy. He's not Cody Rhodes. You know, Johnny Gargano came into NXT as a, as a basically an enhancement talent with a name and built his way up accordingly. Johnny Gargano is going to get himself over when the bell rings, you know. So what you achieved here was you told your audience that things are not going to work 
in one particular way via one particular playbook. On the contrary, it's actually a thing where you have to watch each segment. You have to watch each you know, return from an ad break. You have to watch each transition of the show because you never know who's going to show up or when, which is something that legitimately, folks, WWE have lacked for about 20 years now. And I ain't saying it's back all the way because you will run out of guys that can come back. <laughs> Clearly, the rate they're signing them at. But I did want to give them credit because the way they did it was totally odds with what you'd expect, was totally odds with the norm, and there's something to be said for that. I think that's absolutely a triumph if that was the intention, which I actually believe it was. I think they wanted it to be truly shocking, truly sort of startling and jarring, and it was exactly that. The crowd's slow response to it I thought was wonderful, the way they kind of, it was like a surprise, and then once it, they realised they really came up for it, I thought it was great. Um... Yeah, I like the idea that shocking moments can happen whenever and not just like, you know, a specific moment or time on the show. I think that's a good thing to add to the program. Obviously, uh, Johnny is, you know, a nice addition to the roster and gives them some some TV wrestling excellence underneath. I'm not a huge fan or anything, but he's going to give them quote-unquote bangers on the uh, TV show, which, you know... Is a thing that we need more of in wrestling. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, he's look, he's very, very valuable as a mid-card up and mid-card guy. I don't think you should go beyond that personally, but that's just me. You know, I'm a great big fucking hater. It is what it is. Um, I will say that, simply put, he's clearly where he needs to be at this point in his career. There's no real place for him in AEW. Um, there never really was. And he's just got, you know, smaller and smaller since, since he's been free because so many guys have come and gone. Or, in fact, most guys have just come in and, you know, very few have gone. Of note, anyway. Um, this is better for all involved. You know, Triple H gets his man back and, and can do use him accordingly. Gargano is in a major spot on perhaps the hottest wrestling show in the world right now, quite frankly. As a, a pushed upper mid-card guy, you would assume he's in a few with Fury out the gates. He may even get the briefcase. I don't know. Um, and AEW does not have another babyface to add to its 20-deep babyface lineup. So a win for all involved. Happy for Johnny. Hope he got paid well. And, um, you know, bravo on how well he played this thing, man, because I was very doubtful of waiting out as long as he did, and I think there's some evidence that I wasn't incorrect in saying that. But luckily, <laughs> the whole World Wrestling Federation changed overnight, and Triple H got power, and suddenly things have changed for a lot of guys. So Johnny's the perhaps the biggest example. Very happy for him. I hope it works out. Um, I have heard good things about Edge vs. Priest. Absolutely not. I'm not doing it. Um... All right, so this is kind of the bigger time I want to get to. So clearly, Raw was good. You just heard me go through it. I liked almost everything on the show. Clearly. However, I have to be honest, and if you listen to this show regularly, you know this isn't me doing anti-fed stuff. This is me, just my actual perspective. I find this format to be challenging because people can push back and people can say I'm wrong, and maybe I am. I don't know. I'm just one guy's opinion, right? But to me... This was basically an AEW Dynamite with a quieter crowd, goofier pre-tapes, and a three-hour runtime. And I don't mean that to say the show was bad, because it wasn't. It was really fucking good. But what I mean is, I don't know if this is a show I want to watch every week. I mean, the transitions on this show, they did one long match, pre-tape, one long match, pre-tape, another long match, and look... Dolphin Finn was great, Owens and Gable was great, but they were wrestling for wrestling's sake, there was not really anything advanced or, or done in those matches, they were just, you know, here's, a, here's two great wrestlers having a great match, which I, I understand, and I know there's going to be pushback and people are going to laugh and dunk and say, wrestling on a wrestling show, what more do you want? I get it, I just truly believe there's more interesting things you can do with wrestling television than just, we need to fill 20, let's give them Dolphin Finn, or let's give them Kevin and Gable. I'm not going to complain about it. It was great pro wrestling. I know I sound miserable right now. I just... I don't want us to be at a point in six months where this is all these TV shows are. Not because I think it'll be bad for the business. I'm not going to do some sort of sweeping Vince Russo take. It seems like most of the audience loves this stuff. And, and listen, that's awesome. For me personally, I just don't find it particularly captivating beyond the kind of fleeting enjoyment of the match. There aren't any ideas that stick with me or any things that make me want to see next week. And, again, that's just my perspective. But I just... 
it's striking to me how much this show live has shifted in that sense and has priorities. And while it's good in a lot of ways because Raw was too thin on wrestling or SmackDown was too thin on wrestling before, I thought it was a lot this week. And again, that's just my perspective, folks. If you disagree, that's awesome. But just my perspective, it's a lot, I think. But there you go. It's another topic for another day. I know Oracle and I were talking about it um, privately and we both were kind of, you know, I, I think it's a... I think it's a thing. I, I think it can. I think it can be kind of exhausting in some ways, but that's just me. All right, let's move now to our next segment of the show. I promised this some time ago, a couple of weeks ago, and we're finally going to get there. We're going to do the semi-finals today. We're going to do the finals tomorrow, as long as this recording works, and then I can record another show. Um, the Tokyo Princess Cup. Um, the first semi-final, we're going to start with Yuka Sakazaki, who will be very familiar to AEW fans, and Suzumi, um, who, I apologise that pronunciation is wrong, folks, but I saw Suzumi team with Mace Ruga on the um, Summer Sun Princess show. That's all I saw. I looked at my notes. There wasn't a ton about Suzumi, so i mostly unfamiliar, and by mostly I mean almost totally unfamiliar, so I apologise if anything I say is wrong. I do not have the live chat by my side. I am simply a man talking into a microphone with his notes in front of him. Let it play out. This match was spoiled for me, I'd also like to note, because um, the, <laughs> the eventual result of the tournament was very controversial and appeared on my timeline multiple occasions in terms of drama and people being mad about it, which the sort of perverse, um, villainous edge of me, you know, is, is, is like intrigued by. So we'll get into that, I guess, tomorrow, but... We got underway of a wild uh, shine from Suzumi. Um, this had a bunch of pin attempts, which they went back to later, which I really loved. I like the core idea of, like, you know, you try to get through to the final, try to win immediately, um, especially when wrestling the more experienced wrestler from Mike Gava. I could be completely wrong about that, but I, from Mike Gava, Yuka is more kind of senior. I don't know. I could be wrong, folks. But again, tell me in the uh, in the in the comment the comments here on the uh, the Patreon gimmick because I know there won't be a YouTube video. So there you go. Um, anyway. After this kind of wild shine, Yuka bowed to the outside and then caught Suzumi and jammed her into the post in an, one, genuinely one of the best cutoff spots I've seen in some time. She went off the back, she slammed her on the floor. It was kind of scattered the way they did this because Suzumi then responded with a dive, but Yuka was taken over the match. They just did it in a gradual way, which is something I've commented before on Toko Joshi Pro, where their transitions are not like decisive, like it shifts complete momentum. Instead, it's more like it's a turning point that then gets worked on until it becomes an actual shift in momentum. And that was what happened here. Um, but she did take control and she began to work the back. And she was very, Yuka was focused and nasty in this segment of the match here. She would just stomp away on Suzumi's back. It was really, um, it was an edge that Yuka's only shown in, in spots for me personally. It's only seen very little of her work, obviously, just the AEW stuff and a couple of matches in Tokyo Joshi Pro. So it was fun to see her in this role, which many people have told me is a thing she's great at. So there you go. So eventually, with all this work on the back, um, she grounded Suzumi and then went after her legs and kind of allowing herself to slow the pace because then once things got back to neutral, Suzumi couldn't go run wild the way she did at the start of the match, basically being the kind of core idea. Um, so yeah, so there's that. Um, there was a lovely hope spot in the middle there where, um, Suzumi had been working her for quite a while and she went for a, a quick roll up and the place really bit on it. And immediately in response, you could cut her off by going to the, to the spine. There was that, okay, that was like a running thing. The match wasn't particularly long, so you didn't get a ton of it, but whenever Yuka was kind of, you know reeling slightly or back up against the wall, she would she would target that area and return to what got her, kind of got her in control to begin with, um, which I thought was, was good shit. So anyway, because there wasn't a ton of time, Suzumi soon made a full comeback. Um, there were a couple of positions late that I felt like Suzumi kind of gave up, like a couple of submissions. I don't know if you guys will, if you saw this, will know what I mean, but she kind of like, I think the idea was there was escape, but it felt like she kind of just lost the position which I don't hate in theory, but the way it was executed, I thought kind of hurt the drama slightly. Not a ton, but it kind of took the, the edge off the match a little bit, I thought. Nonetheless, they rebuilt that element pretty swiftly in terms of drama. There were a big sequence of pin attempts from both sides, and the pace was upped, and people were really 
got hooked on this this back and forth here with you know two counts back both ways and um, very effective. I like the way that down the stretch that was such a central element of Suzumi's tactics. You know, try to get a quick pin. It was straight back to the start of the match, exactly how she you know kind of reverted to tie up almost. <clears throat> she started and, and closed the match the same way, um, but then out of nowhere almost. Yuka halts the fun and like just fucking strings together you know a handful of moves and gets like a really blunt emphatic win, which felt mean just the way she did it. <coughs> and um, and yeah, I like that for the for the way this was worked. It was almost like you know the, the game's up, enough of that shit. Let's end this thing, which fit the runtime, which I think was only just under over ten, maybe a little like maybe eleven so that. Um, it was a good match. I would compare it to like a TV bout that would pop Oracle Online because it was like very contained and it had a couple of ideas and explored them best it could in the runtime and got out there without overstaying its welcome or overthinking things. Uh, I didn't think it went beyond good, but that's not really an insight. It's more just a result of what this was trying to be. Um, Suzumi is, has not like clearly has not jumped off the page to me yet, which is not a commentary on her skill set as much as it's commentary on. I've just seen very little. So, you know, that's, that's on me, but it was really fun to see Yuka work. Um, so defined in this role, which is how I've been told about, and it was cool to see her actually do it here. So there you go. I liked it a lot. And this next one got a lot of love. Um, uh, Miyu Watanabe and Miyu Yamashita. Um, this was the one that actually got some like match of the year buzz on my timeline. And I didn't quite get there on it, and I was kind of bummed because I really wanted to like it because Watanabe, you know, as you listen to my review, she's actually one of the names who really has jumped off the page for me. I've really loved watching her. Um, and you imagine to obviously, you know, I'm lucky enough to see a little bit more of her on the AEW side too. <laughs> Granted, not the most, you know, um, spectacular results, not necessarily on her, but, you know, it's been what it's been. But obviously you matched is great. Um, they got underway with some just straight wrestling and you matched took control. And they quickly established this idea, to me anyway, which is saying that one RBA, I think there's always a nice sense of like, her stylistic strengths and weaknesses and the way the match uses them. I think that's a thing that she really uses in a fashion that's um, that's compelling. And that was the case here. She was out-wrestled. And then she increased the tempo and kind of built some momentum. And that was like an idea throughout the match where it was like, you managed to be in control, but a burst of energy would, would even things out. It was almost like this kind of this race in that regard. I, I really did like it. Um, you actually strikes were spectacular here. She, they, she used those to take control of the match. She targeted the chest for an extended stretch, um, which was like really well sold by Watanabe. And she, it felt like it had hindered and limited her strength in some ways, which I thought was really cool. Cause it like taking the wind out almost. It was great. Um, I mean, obviously I'm not breaking the news, but about how good you match the strikes. I like, you know, you get the deal, but even still, um, they got to the swing spot nonetheless, but they did it as a catch which I have never seen. I'm not talking about a catch where like someone goes for a shitty front drop kick and they just fall in front of Claudio and he hooks their legs and swings them. I'm talking about like she caught her in midair and like de- just held onto her legs in a way where the, the rest of her body kind of fell down and she could do the swing organically, which was incredible spot, by the way. I'm sure she does it regularly, but it's the first time I've seen her do it this way. It popped me very, very much. Um, I love Yamashita's kicks for a transition. You know, because what you can do is it's like, It'll feel like Watanabe is really rolling because she can pull those off with such little trigger and like it's, just, it's so snappy. It really puts like a, a full stop on the end of like a, a a run of offense from her opponent. You know, it's like really like this blunt end to it. It's awesome. There was one they did here where she threw one to like kick Watanabe off the top rope and it was so violent and sudden. It was awesome. Absolutely loved it. Um, there was a great... Uh, there was, there was a great strike exchange late in, you know, while we're talking about this kind of thing, where they were exchanging forearms. And it was just one shot from Yamashita. And Watanabe did like a face plant cell. Like, it just dropped out. Like, it was done. It was awesome. And there's so much story packed into that back and forth, those, you know, the strikes of the forearms, where Watanabe appears to be totally outgunned and just doesn't seem to, you know, have the answers in terms of a strike exchange. But she refuses to to give up on that front, you know, so the, to the point where she even gets some success out of pure just will and defiance, which is tremendous. Um, 
I love Watanabe selling throughout this. I, I wish she did a wonderful job of selling exhaustion. Like she would hit a big move and almost collapse because she'd spent herself. She's the same that I've commented on in all of her matches I've done so far. I, I think it's really um, a good fit for her style that he's got such kind of surprising strength central to it. I think it's a really good deal. Um, so all these strikes from Jumash ultimately build to a moment where effectively Watanabe snaps, basically. She explodes with strikes and she she drops Shumastra and the place comes up for it. Um, the momentum then goes back and forth some more and then kind of out of nowhere, the finish comes and Watanabe scores what I believe to be a pretty big time upset with like a sudden kind of slam for the victory. Um, I'd like to hear you guys that are big fans include into like the the narratives and such. When I say narratives, I mean on screen, not like online. Uh, how you feel about the finish? Because to me, it kind of came out of nowhere and I didn't, necessarily think it fit the story that I was getting from the match. That doesn't mean it didn't fit the story. It means the one I was getting as someone who's a novice to the product. Um, I sense this would have packed more of a punch if I had a better grasp of how big this win was. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is not, I mean, I get it, but I think if I'd have followed the stories more closely, I'd have probably grasped that this was like a huge career-defining moment for Tanabe, which what, from what I can gather was the idea. I could be wrong, folks. So maybe that's part of it. But even still, I really like the match. Um, I especially love Watanabe's performance, as you can probably tell. Her facial expressions and body language really stole the show, I thought. She was endearing as an underdog, but she was fearless in there. And there was a real sense of, like, there was a subtlety to the way she carried herself. You know, she was confident, but there was this sort of desperation to prove herself that she belonged. And again, I don't know you know, how kind of shocking this was or how big a deal this was. But f f that's the way I read the match. I thought it was, thought it was certainly compelling. Um, and I say that I was impressed by Watanabe to say that's not a dis you know, discredited match. I think that was the idea of the match is what I'm getting at. Um, I think that was kind of the point, was the idea of le elevating um, Watanabe to Yamashita's level. And if that was the case, we did a fabulous job of it. Very, very good match. Um, we will do the final tomorrow, which causes Watanabe and Yuka Sakazaki. Um, yeah. That should be a good time. All right. So a couple of things here. I don't know if we're going to do a four hour. I want to save some stuff. So basically the way it's going to work when I tape these is I have a, a bunch of things to talk about. And then, um, you know, we'll kind of see what we get in. And if, if it doesn't make it, I'll do it the next day best I can. Uh, here's a segment I want to kick around a little bit. I hope this, got, this pops you guys a little bit, maybe. A show to watch. So today is, of course, um, the 24th of August, I was about to say July again, which I made a mistake on social media, but August, which unless I'm mistaken, is the date of Clash of Champions, Clash of the Champions, 28 from 1994, which is one of the more unique Clash shows in history. Why is that, Joey Bing Bong? Well, here's why. Clash of the Champions 28 follows Hulk Hogan's debut match in WCW, where at Bash of the Beach, he of course beats Ric Flair in July. And he becomes the world's champion, and the promotion is changing as a result. He wrestles on this clash. So it's a really important moment where basically it's a chance to capitalize on a national TV stage with Hogan. He's wrestling Flair, which is obviously a huge deal, even though you did it on pay per view. That match was big business for them. So, of course, it would be big business to follow up on TV. We'll see, you know, <laughs> we'll kind of discuss um, the way they do that and how it affects things. But it's an interesting match, an interesting show because. Basically, um, one second, folks. I'm trying to pull up the ratings here because my notes have, have confused even me. Can you imagine? Imagine you reading them. Um, it's an interesting time because there are some things on this show that still very much feel like things that came before Hogan was around. Um, they feel like a very, very different idea. Uh, to put it, to put it, <laughs> you know, to put it very, very, you know, um, to understate it. It feels like a very different promotion to the one that Hogan's wrestling. Um, for those of you wondering, the TV rating for this, um, the Clash of Champions before, 3.5 for 26, a 3 for 27, and a 4.5 for this one here. Um, so it did some business for them. There you go. All right. And the Clash before this, of course, to give you some perspective on that being a good number, the Clash before this was Flair and Sting in a unification match to set up the champion that would then face Hogan. So, you know, that was a big match. It shows you kind of how big a deal this was for them at the time. Let's go through the card a little bit. I don't want to spoil any of the matches for you. 
Um, I'll try not to anyway. Because, I, I, you know, I, I want this segment to kind of be like a... If you're interested in watching some wrestling that took place today, here is, here is some. All right. Mind me as I take a sip of my Pepsi Max. <clears throat> that was not me taking a sip. That was me coughing, actually. All right. So, speaking of things that feel like a non-Hogan WCW play, the show opens with a wonderful US title match between Steve Austin and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, those two guys was a really cool pairing. You know, a classical pairing. Two traditionally great workers, the young, upstart, cocky heel uh, against the veteran legend babyface. But when I say legend... He's the best kind of legend because Ricky can work anyone and not feel out of place. He's not a guy who's going to, you know, limit what you can do with him. That was the beauty of Ricky in WCW. He was a top guy and a superstar, but he wasn't above anyone else on the roster. He felt like a guy who could just go out there and wrestle, which was the, what made him so, you know, great in that run. I don't think he gets enough love, honestly, that run in WCW for Ricky. Unfortunately, <clears throat> this was Ricky's last televised match. For 15 years, of course, he famously wrestled Chris Jericho and did the Mania thing in 2009. But, um, but yeah, this is this is quite the deal. Um, Austin, after this, is squashed by Jim Duggan at, like, full brawl, who takes an injured Ricky Steamboat's place. But uh, US title match, Steve Austin, Ricky Steamboat, I mean, you know, I'm not here to do it used to be better, but that's pretty fucking cool if you ask me, you know? And those two had a bunch of matches too because they wrestled when Steve was in the Dangerous Alliance two years prior. They wrestled for the TV title at Clash um, 20, I believe it was. So, hell of a deal to kick it off. All right. Up next, we have the result of one of the most famous promos in wrestling history. Uh, Dustin Rhodes and Dusty Rhodes versus <laughs> Bunkhouse Park and Terry Funk, um, who of course are, you know, the stud stable and all that good stuff. Um my bad, folks. Throat is struggling, which of course is, you know, a very, very fitting way to add to this. As Pesci says in um, in My Cousin Vinny, or as Vinny says in My Cousin Vinny, I should say, how much more shit can we pile up on top of this? <laughs> That's the only one needed a sore throat. Um, you guys may not know what I'm talking about, but just to explain it, there's an iconic promo with Dusty and Dustin in WCW where he does the thing about, you know, I, you know, he want, he, Dusty needs a partner and Dusty's pleading with him to take that role. And they have a big hug and he says the famous, you know, the view never changes and all that good stuff about Arn Anderson. It's one of the greatest wrestling promos ever and it sets up this match because Dustin accepts Dusty's partner and they go to the clash to wrestle Buck and Funk. Obviously, Dusty Rhodes and Terry Funk is, you know, is wrestling history. And it's a really cool deal to see on a show that, again, is made written by Hulk Hogan. It's a weird time, this little middle ground here. Um, promo is unbelievable. The match is fun. Dusty can't do much at all here. He actually could do more about a decade later, which is hilarious. Uh, he couldn't do a lot then either, but he's really limited here, even as you see in the War Games match that follows this. Um, but it's always fun to see Buck and Terry in there being heels, and especially when you're up against Dustin. And You know, it's a good time. I think the thing's most remembered for the post-match um, which again, I don't want to spoil too much, but you know, there's a very funny visual with Meng that you may enjoy if you watch this. So, again, pretty strong show. Speaking of things on this show that are worth seeing, <laughs> you may or may not know that on this show, Lord Stephen Regal wrestles Antonio Inoki, <laughs> which I bet there's a few of you listening to this thinking, wow, why, when, how? Uh, which is a fair question. It's actually a really good time. I strongly recommend, if you've never seen it, you seek this out just because it's such an interesting piece of business. Conceptually, it's nuts because of like the timeline, but it also feels distinctly not 1994 in a way that's kind of fascinating. Um, a really interesting match and a really interesting like moment in time that you may have some fun going back and, and revisiting, so... Antonio Inoki against Lord Stephen Regal. Um, it's really good. I, I really like the match. Maybe that's partly just because the, the the idea of it pops me. But I actually think it's damn good, legitimately. Tell me what you think if you go and watch it. In the main event, we have Flair and Hogan in... Well, 
there's a lot of shenanigans through the night. There's a lot of talk that Hogan won't make it to the ring. He's attacked. They finally get to the ring. They do some business. It's good, I guess. The thing that's really interesting is the crowd's response to Hogan and the kind of ups and downs of that. I actually love the match from Bash of the Beach. I think it's a great like Clash of the Titans, big time, you know, epic. I think it's wonderful. For what it is, obviously, it's not one of Flair's best matches or anything, but I think it's a great spectacle. I'm not so keen on the cage match at Havoc, and this one is always saying that I kind of forget because it's very greatest hits, you know, vibe, which is, you know, that's what you expect from, honestly, both guys, but especially Hogan. Um, but it's the angle that comes with it is is something. So there it is, folks. Collegiate Champions 28. An interesting show, if nothing else. A good show, I would say, actually. Um... I want to kind of do this as like a little historical segment. We'll bounce around. Obviously, WCW is my, my, comfort, my comfort zone, my comfort food when it comes to wrestling. But um, there's a show for you if you're looking for something to watch today that's that's timely in a historical sense. So Clash of Champions 28, a very interesting moment in time for World Championship Wrestling. All right. We've got about 15 minutes here. I hope you guys are enjoying this. I don't know how it sounds. I hope it sounds okay because otherwise I've wasted 46 minutes and I have a very sore throat. But um, we have some questions. We actually have a lot of questions because I haven't got to them for a while, but they've been clogging up. But my hope is that if I do the questions correctly, it should keep the community element of the show, you know, there. should keep it present, which is important to me. You know, I don't want it to be... Um, I, don't, I don't want it to be just me talking into, you know, the abyss. I, I'd like the questions to be. So if you have any questions... Send them to circle at gmail.com. We do have a lot, so it may take me a while to get to some. I'm going to try and bounce around so it isn't just a straight line. I apologise if you've been waiting, but I will get to them, I promise. Um, with that in mind, let's go to Will, who says, and I quote, Oh, how? How crazy is it that Sheeta had her street fight against Dee back in April and hasn't been on TV since? Jesus wept. She held the top title in the division for a year and is now only on dark. I know complaining about how EW, about how, how Tony Khan books women his old hat by now, but it really shows how little they regard their history when DMD is the only former champ who's regularly on TV. Okay, let's just stop there because I know where the question's up next and I appreciate the way this is phrased very much. But just quickly to um, co-sign, I mean, that is insane. I hadn't actually thought about the Sheeta theme because, of course, there was the kerfuffle with the... Um, with the Owen, remember she was booked, but she wasn't booked, and there was a whole mess with that thing, and that's why I kind of had forgotten about because she's been in the scene since then. But you're right, yeah, that's that's wild. And she's on the sea shows regularly, so yeah, uh, that that's something. Um, I like your point about history too. Like she was basically the ace, you know. I like that. Anyway, you carried on by saying, I know you've addressed the problems as a whole. Which, again, I appreciate because that was your way of making me not do what I just did, but I still did it anyway. Thank you very much, but I appreciate you. But how would you bring back Sheeta in the current picture? I just want her to be informed again. Very fair, man. It's, it's something we talk about a lot. Wrestling is best consumed when you're watching it through the lens of your favourite wrestler. And I'm not saying Sheeta's your favourite wrestler, but if you want her on the TV show, I think you have every right to be like, why is this wrestler like not on the show for four months? And no matter how much people shout back at you about C shows and about how you can watch YouTube, that isn't the answer. Um, so I think it's a very good question. Personally, I think it's been long enough that you need to do something impactful. Um, so that immediately makes me think heel turn, which I've been kind of bullish on for a while. She's in a really weird spot where it's like, surely you could have at least got like a Jade match out of like Sheeta, right? Like even if you don't want to push her anymore, which is something I think's happened. I mean, I've talked about this elsewhere before on these shows, but I do believe that there's been a shift with how Tony views the Joshi talent. Honestly, it may not be a shift. He may have always viewed them that way. He just had less options and stuff. I don't know, but it feels like Sank's changed. So even if you don't want to push up, surely that's all the more reason to use her on TV in a major way and, like, use her to put other women over. I mean, I think Sheeta's better than that. What I'm getting is if you don't want to use her as, like, a star, Sheeta could be immensely valuable in putting over a Jade Cargill, couldn't she? She's just off the TV show. It's bizarre. So I immediately think he'll turn. Um, which is kind of lazy, but it is what I think, and I have thought it since she lost the world's title, to be honest with you. The really cliche answer, Will, is you give her some kind of faction. Um, I'm always hesitant on this kind of thing 
because I don't really want to sit here and pitch to you that she comes back and has like, you know, um, like Yuka and Emi is, is a faction just because they're all Japanese wrestlers. Like I, I think it's lazy. I will say that with some of Shida's like aesthetics, her as the boss of a heel faction, it's amazing regardless of who's in it. I'm really into the idea. So a heel, a heel turn with some backup would be my play. Again, I'm, I'm hesitant to say, put, you know, the other underutilized Joshi talent in there. I'd rather not do that because I think it's kind of lazy. Um, that's just me personally. I'm, you know, I'm obviously just one dipshit talking, but um, a heel turn is what comes to mind for me. In terms of who you have her go for, um, I'm just going to pull up the roster here. So, like, in an ideal world for me personally, I would go... I think Athena should win the TBS title. So that's a key part of this. So I would look to bring Sheeta back in a major way by going after Athena and her TBS title. Now, here's the thing with that. Clearly, that's a program she's probably not going to win because it's the first program you're doing with Athena. My hope would be, though, that if she has backup, you can build to that match in a major way that makes it feel like an important deal at full gear. And in addition... My real hope would be that those matches would be so good that it would actually help all involved, including the whole division, just by booking the damn match. Um, I think AEW would be very much, you know, would benefit greatly from sweating less who's up and who's down and instead try and just, you know, try to make the most intriguing, most compelling matchup they can. Sheeta and Athena's got my attention regardless of who winning and losing that one. And I know that Sheeta has previously, when, when, Ember was in, when Athena was Ember in WWE, I think she answered the Twitter question about who would you like to wrestle, and she said, you know, Ember. And I think that is the kind of match you can't let hesitation booking-wise get in the way of that. She has been on the C-Shows for four months, as you said. Like, that's the one for me. I, I think that's the way I would go. But that's just my answer. Well, I don't know. What do you got, mate? Tell me. Put in the comments below, anyone. Will, anyone just listen to the show, who you would like to see. Uh, she to come back and work, what you would like to see Sheeta doing, the role, so on and so forth. It's an interesting topic. She's clearly way too good to not be on the TV show in some form or fashion. All right. Let's do another question here. We go to Mark, who says, how apparent do you think the current curve is between the AEW and WWE products? This is hilarious because we just did, as I recall this at 3.06am on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, a couple of the lads in Discord, now we were actually just talking about this. Um, I do not believe Mark was one of these fellas, unless he has a gimmick name. I don't know, Mark. Um, anyway, <laughs> how apparently the current curve between WWE and AEW. I'm trying to get back into WWE, and it's not bad by any means, but I'm not really seeing the great matches that everyone else seems to. To be clear, this was sent like nearly two weeks ago, so I want to be clear, Mark, he may have liked some of the matches last week or whatever, so, you know, timeline, be loose on this, folks, right? It's my fault, I read it late. Uh, he says, is this a me thing, or is the curve a real difference between WWE and the rest? I don't think it's a you thing. Um, I don't know what... It depends what wrestling you watch. Like, AEW is such a collection of... A collection, a kind of buffet of styles that even if you just watch AEW, it's probably not a you thing. Um, if you watch a lot of wrestling, it's, you know, almost certainly not a you thing. It's the reality of the situation. I will say I think WWE style has loosened lately. So stick with it. Maybe you have like the matches more in as late. I don't know again, but stick with it because I think they have loosened in that front. Or don't stick with it if you don't like it. <laughs> don't watch it. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's a real thing. You know, I think when you see a match like the Usos and the Street Profits, while I really like the match, and I give it a very positive review on WrestleBridge. You still read that, by the way. It's something I'm pretty proud of. Um, when you see people saying it's the best tag match I've ever seen and it's five stars, I'm not trying to stop anyone else from enjoying things, but... That just suggests to me they haven't seen many modern tag matches because what that match really was, was it was, you know, a standard WWE tag match with an attached portion of PWG-esque frills, which is fine. I really like the match. But when I see people saying five stars, best match ever seen, it suggests to me that these people haven't seen the, uh, the source material, so to speak. So I think it's a thing. Um, I think we can overstate it sometimes. You know, I think it's always important this is talking for me here and someone in my perspective. I never want to frame all the other wrestling as high art or WWE as like this dumb, like I don't see it that way at all personally. I actually think there's some things that you get in a WWE match that are actually a positive. I like how tight they can be on structure. Um, I like the way that, you know, there is generally that, that traditional 
formatting that I obviously love. And you hear me just review matches then. I'm, I'm big on that. I like that kind of, that free act setup that wrestling was once built. And I like that kind of tradition. That's just me. You know, some of you will be fucking bored. And that's, that's just the, that's where it's subjective. So my answer to you, uh, Mark, I'm sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm all over the place in this one. My answer to you is the curve is real, but it speaks more to how good the rest of wrestling can be rather than how bad WWE wrestling is. I think there's a lot of good wrestling in WWE. There's just a lot of great wrestling everywhere else. So I think that gap will close as Triple H is in power more and more. Like for me personally, and again, you may disagree. You sent it before this to be clear again. But Kevin Owens and Chad Gable for me personally is, you know, I think that's good wrestling regardless of where it's at. I really do. I think that's just great wrestling. I think if that was on Dynamite, that would all pop huge for it. So I think it's changing. I think Triple H is loosening up on that front. And you're seeing it even on main event, guys doing destroyers. And Edge did a fucking Canadian destroyer, which is hilarious. But I can't pretend there isn't a charm to WWE's prior approach that's going to be lost now. But there is a curve. I would suggest if you genuinely want to get back in, if not, then watch the stuff you want to watch, man, and enjoy it. But if you genuinely want to get in, I would suggest trying to see how it feels when you're invested in the characters. I think WWE stars a lot more reliant on investment than the alternatives, where it's more gif-worthy, if that makes any sense. So I guess after all that, my answer is lit play out. All right, we're going to wind down here. I really hope this has been okay, guys. I'm sorry. This has been such a frustrating couple of days, and God forbid my throat gets worse and I can't do shows on my internet gets back. <laughs> but I just was so fucking bored, and I wanted to do a show, and just wanted to get something out there, and you know, I know everyone messages me when I when I go from ups and downs and says you don't need to do this much, and you can will waiting for you, and like I guys, it means the world to me. But genuinely. I know, I know that you guys don't expect me to do a show every hour. I know that you guys would wait and happily and let me, you know, rest or whatever. But it's on me, man. I, <laughs> I put this pressure on myself. is isn't that I'm confusing, you know, isn't that I think you guys have these high expectations of me. It's just what I expect of me, I guess. I don't know. But more than that, it's an addiction to just fucking, this is the stuff I like to do. And sometimes I get in my own way and I get in my own head, but. It's 3.11am and I'm fucking talking wrestling and it's as happy as I've been all day, so. Hopefully this worked. Hopefully this scratched the inch. Hopefully this did something for you. I don't know, man. I'm trying my best. You know what I mean? <laughs> it is what it is. I'm, I'm trying over here. Um, all right, here's what we're going to do tomorrow. And honestly, if this worked, I may just record this now because fuck it. We're rolling. I'll tell you if that's the case on the next episode. But the next time out, we're going to do this. We're going to do um, the final of the Tokyo Princess Cup. We are going to do a couple of matches from this week's New Japan Strong, including Dax the Axe Harwood versus Azuka Rocky Romero. We're going to do um, Blake Christian, Hiromu Takashi, and El Desperado from the same episode of Strong, which went very, very long. And then we're going to do some of the matches from uh, this past weekend's Beyond Wrestling event, which featured... Eddie Kingston, uh, Willie Uter, he wrestled Timothy Thatcher on that show. Willow was on there. A really nice lineup. I want to do some of that stuff. IWTV, I'm going to be digging in on here pretty regularly on this version of the Burt. Um, I believe they're uploading Eddie Kingston and Stu Grayson at some point this week, so you know I'm going to cover that because, man, that sounds awesome. And I saw some really cool live reviews for that. So, you know, I'm loving this deal where we get our Eddie Kingston feel elsewhere, you know. <laughs> His AEW usage hasn't been my favourite the last month or so, but we're getting a lot of King regardless. And, you know, he's wrestling um, Marafuji on, on, on Sunday. So it's been worse, let me tell you. It's been, there's been worse times to be an Eddie Kingston fan than right now. It's <laughs> the understatement of the year. We're also going to have a couple of questions because, um, again, we have a lot to work through. So I hope this worked for you guys. Um, I will. Hopefully now see if it works. If you're listening to it, it did. Bravo. This is Wednesday. So in an ideal world, I'll be back later tonight for Dynamite coverage. Please go to my Twitter, at Joe Holbert, to find out if that's the case. My internet may not be working, and I can't do this for a live show, obviously. Unfortunately, I wish I could. Um, so check me on Twitter to see that. As, while you're listening to this, I will be in Nope for a rewatch. 
Um, please go to my Twitter for a review of that. <laughs> and also, after this, I'll be going to all from first kill because I'm doing an unofficial double shot because I love this business. All right, folks. I appreciate you all. I'll see you later or tomorrow whenever I see you again. But I hope you enjoyed the order in the meantime. Keep grinning. All hell.